season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. JKR Podcast. My name is Jace Riggling and I'm the host. Today we start a weekend series with three former Hoosier pitchers. Today we've got Tommy Summer in the White Sox organization. Tomorrow we've got Matt Litwicky, who plays for the Boston Red Sox, drafted last season. And then we've got Sunday, we've got Braden Scott coming on the show, signed as an undrafted free agent to the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, today, we've got, like I said, we've got Tommy Summer coming on the show. He was a Friday night starter for two seasons here at IU, so you know it just makes sense to have him starting off the weekend series here on this Friday. Um, today, we discussed with Tommy just his agent selection process as he signed with NPG. Uh, we talked about his draft story, um, how exactly uh, his whole draft process came about. Also talk about his first spring training as he had to deal with the MLB lockout and how that had some minor effects on the minor leaguers as well. Um, just dig into his whole career so far. So let's tune into the interview and I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, and welcome back to the JKR podcast. Today we've got former Indiana Hoosier ace, 2021 MLB draft pick and current pitcher in the White Sox organization. We got Tommy Summer on the show today. Tommy, pumped to get you on the show. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm doing well. Yeah, of course. Hey, uh, spring training's back in action. But before we start digging into that, uh, one question I always like to ask everybody when they come on the show. First question is, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Um, I'm Tommy Summer. I'm just a you know, a typical kid from Carmel, Indiana, uh, that, you know, kind of grew up loving sports and, and, and enjoying, you know, everything that, you know, I had in front of me. Um, really, I played, I played everything growing up and really explored a lot of my options with, um, um, my parents getting me involved in multiple different things. My dad played soccer, um, at professional level. So I was involved in that, but baseball was just kind of my passion and I I ended up being kind of good at it at a younger age. So I just fell in love with it and, and, kind of pursued that passion and it's it's led to who I am today really and um in the grand scheme of things now as you as you get older it kind of becomes your identity yeah yeah so let's let's dig into your childhood a little bit you talk about your dad being uh being a soccer player obviously he had tons of success as a soccer player how did his success shape your childhood and just your mindset overall in sports um yeah honestly I think he did an amazing job as a dad just not really having that shape my childhood at all um quite frankly uh in America, obviously, in, in the early 2000s, soccer is not that big of a deal. So he wasn't a celebrity by any means. And, he, and our lifestyle wasn't necessarily unique, like in the NBA or MLB or the NFL, where, you know, those guys are making serious money and they're in the spotlight and all over social media nowadays. Um, you know, I, I'm very thankful that he was a professional athlete. I mean, he's given me an amazing um, amount of life experience and, and things that I've carried on throughout throughout all my experiences through sports, whether it was in soccer or baseball, basketball, anything like that. Um, but yeah, he's always been a mentor for me and always been an outlet for me to ask questions and rebound things off of. And I definitely um, would attest a lot of my success to him simply because I was always the one that wasn't necessarily the most talented, don't necessarily throw the hardest, I'm not the most athletic by any means, but I was just, you know, <clears throat> on time for everything, always polite to coaches, always 
doing things off the field that, that put me in a, in a position just to be available and, and be there um, to compete for spots or positions or whatever. And, and, you know, crazy things happen where all of a sudden you get in the mix and you're up and, and in the game for reasons that you may not necessarily have earned, but you've, you've just not done the wrong things. And, and all of a sudden you, you go out on, on the field and perform at a high level. And, and that's how you kind of earn your keep and continue to climb that ladder. Um, but those, that's kind of the biggest thing that he's always taught me is because he, we played different sports. It wasn't necessarily, Hey, do this, do that. And um, it was more off the field things mentally trying to stay ahead of the game as much as possible. Yeah. So with your dad being a soccer player, what was it that led to baseball being the sport that you played in college other, rather than soccer like your dad? Um, actually, it was for my mom. Uh, my mom played softball growing up, um, and I just loved sports as a little kid. We played everything growing up. Our family, um, you know, plays everything. Being from Indiana, obviously, we're diehard basketball fans, big Hoosier fans. Um, so I was involved in everything as, at a young age. Um, being left-handed doesn't hurt, so um, I just I liked it from a young age. Kept playing it. My mom got me involved in it, um, and you know, as I as I got older, I just enjoyed it more and more. Started to kind of get recruited once I got into high school and, that, and that's how I started to weed out, you know, soccer and basketball and football and kind of started to focus on baseball. Yeah. So you did move to, to Carmel, Indiana from Ohio. What, what age were you when you moved to Carmel? So I actually, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Then we, uh, my dad played for the New England Revolution. So I, I lived in Boston for a few years and then we moved from Boston to Indiana. Um, I was six years old. So I basically, oh. my entire childhood, was, I was in Indiana. So um, yeah, I don't remember much from those other places. Yeah. So you got to Carmel, obviously started playing baseball, played for three different travel teams growing up. Um, so how exactly did you get connected with your first travel ball team to when you ended up playing with the Bulls your last couple of years of travel ball? Yeah. So um, I was eight years old when I played for the prospects. Um, it was a, it was a nine U team. My mom just kind of signed me up on a whim for the tryout to see what it was like, or if I'd enjoy it or whatever. I ended up making the team as a, as an eight year old, um, and just kind of ran with it. Um, it was just kind of on a whim from what I remember as a little kid. Um, and then I played for the prospects for a couple of years. I actually got cut um, the second year. So I got cut from the prospects my second year. Um, ended up playing for the Smithville Gators, which is a small team out of Bloomington, Indiana, uh, when I was a little kid. Um, and did that for two years. Played for the Nitro for a year. Um, and then ended up joining the Bulls once they started um, their 13-year-old age group back then. They only had 13 through 18 um, before they expanded fully once they got Grand Park. So I joined the Bulls as, as soon as I could. Yeah. So was was Scott French the guy running the program when you were there? No, Dan Held was the was the director of, uh, of the Bulls then. Okay. So did, did the Bulls, did they help you out throughout your recruiting process quite a bit? Yeah, absolutely. They were um, more, yeah, they were definitely aiding in the process. Absolutely. Um, I would say, that they're more of a, a, a crutch than necessarily your your own marketing group by any means. They're always there to, to help you and ask questions and, or to relay questions off of it and guide you in the right direction. But they're never pushing you in a certain direction, which I always respected a lot. You know, there's a lot of situations like that where, you know, coaches have deals with certain coaches or just have strong relationships and they kind of aid them in a certain direction. Whereas and they, they knew me specifically, I was a big IU kid and, and that was a strong possibility that I was going to go there, but they continued to give me opportunities from other schools to say, Hey, this team wants to come watch you. This team's coming to see you. This person wants to talk to you. Um, give me as many opportunities um, and people uh, to reach out to and connect with as, as possible. So I can make the most informed decision that I possibly could in the end. 
Yeah. So digging into your recruiting process, when did that process start for you? So when did you kind of, when did the first D1 coach get in contact with you? How did that go to when you ended up actually committing to IU? Yeah. Yeah. So with the Bulls specifically, um, they all kind of come around. Your 14U is when they kind of start Indiana, Purdue, Notre Dame, Ball State, Evansville, those type of teams are in around watching our games at 14. Um, so we kind of got slowly introduced to that process then where they'd come watch our group specifically um, and then started to talk individually with Purdue and IU at the beginning of my sophomore year and kind of kick-started that process. And, um, you know, I, I personally, I took a long time to try to make that decision because I knew that as a freshman or in high school or sophomore in high school, I wasn't really necessarily ready to, to kind of make that decision. I realized how big of a, an impact these, that college experience is going to have on myself. So, my parents really pushed me to kind of delay and and, and see as many places I, as I possibly could. They knew that we were such a big Indiana family. and They wanted me to, to test the waters and see a lot of different places and really make sure that um, I was making the right decision if I were to choose IU. Um, so I ended up getting a lot of really cool opportunities by delaying my my recruitment, honestly. Uh, got to go to Ole Miss, Louisville, um, Arkansas, Miami, Florida, um, Missouri, Notre Dame, all those schools kind of started to come in as, as I got older and, and made it a really cool and, and very difficult experience, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. actually ended up making it a lot more difficult than it should have been. Yeah, that's, de- I mean, definitely smart to wait it out. I mean, a lot of times nowadays, expect, I, I assume back in 2017 as well, but you have guys who are committing as freshmen, sophomores in high school, and they're still three or four years from college and they're already committing to, I mean, IU, all SEC school, stuff like that. It was definitely, right. definitely, definitely a smart idea to go and actually get to go experience different colleges. So, yeah, um, I don't want to knock anybody that made an early yeah. decision. I mean, it's not for a lot of kids, and I, it's not necessarily the right decision or the wrong decision, but I feel like it really worked out for me. And I was able to kind of really map out, you know, what each schools were recruiting kids and where I was going to fall in line for everybody and everybody's recruiting class and things like that, which I yeah. thought was, was pretty beneficial for me. Yeah. So, being a just Besides being an overall Hoosier, what was it about IU that stood out to you besides uh, rather than some of those other schools like Ole Miss, Miami, Notre Dame that you went and visited? For me, it was mainly academic, honestly. Um, you know, it was really hard to turn down SEC baseball and ACC baseball. Those are obviously the two highest level conferences within our area for sure. And, uh, and nationally, you could obviously make that argument as well compared to the Pac-12 and things like that. Um, for me, it was academic. Um, I went to the Kelly School of Business, so um, doing that was a kind of a big deal for me. I wanted to kind of find a really good mix of going to IU and, or yeah, going to IU. I felt like it was the best mix of academics, getting a really good degree and also having your immediate play time. I knew that if I went to IU compared to the other schools that were recruiting me, if I went to IU, I would have a lot of play time as a sophomore, as a freshman, and then hopefully as a sophomore, really be ingrained in the starting rotation and, and have an opportunity to, to really sh- showcase myself. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of those other schools, you know, you can get buried pretty quickly, not because of the way the organizations run or anything like that, but there's just so much talent built up there that it's hard to kind of find your way through and any little thing can happen and set you back and, and end up pushing you in the wrong direction. So I felt like if, if I went to IU, I, I would definitely put myself up um, to compete at a high level right away. Yeah. So you talk about the Kelly School of Business. You were a major in finance, correct? Yeah. So what was the reasoning behind, uh, actually, what was the reasoning behind majoring in finance? Um, honestly, it was just pretty broad degree. Uh, I like numbers a lot. I was pretty good at it. And it, it just seemed like I could cover a lot of bases with it. 
Um, I, I wasn't really um, trying to narrow my focus that much, especially with so, so much going on through baseball. I, I wasn't involved in internships or um, other academic things within the university that a lot of the business school students do. Um, so I just wanted to kind of get a broad degree of things like that and uh, just kind of give myself as many opportunities as I possibly could if, if baseball wouldn't have ended up working out. I feel like with baseball or finance is a very broad degree to where I can yeah. go and try different things. Yeah. So while you're at IU, you got the chance to play for Jeff Mercer and Chris Lamonis. Yeah. So what were some of those biggest differences you saw between the two's coaching styles? Uh, honestly, they're polar opposites um, in positives and negative ways. Um, Coach Lamonis was was more of a just an overall manager, um, a lot less hands-on, but more of an authoritarian figure. Um, I would say that he 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 respected the the older players a lot, the, the way that you know guys that have earned their keep and were at the school and have earned playing time have been respected by. Um, the coaching staff in a, in a great way. Um, they gave me an, an incredible opportunities as a freshman, so I'm more than thankful for everything that they've given me because, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do and it instills a lot of trust in a, in a young 18-year-old to, to go and play in a game. So I'm, I'm thankful for that now that I have the site to look back on it and realize what they, they actually put me out there to go try and do. Um, Coach Mercer's really hands-on, really um, – Motivational, inspirational, um, talkative guy, really a great recruiter, a good person, um, and just really a hard worker. I mean, you could see every single day he's just, you know, putting his foot down and going after it. Um, it's, it, it was his dream coming from the state of Indiana as a kid living in Franklin to be the coach of IU. And you can tell that that's, that's how he carries himself um, as a coach there. He really cares about each individual player and, and puts his best foot forward every single day. I, I haven't yet to see a coach really care as much as he does uh, for the overall organization, the school, each individual player and the success of the program for the, the present and the future. So I, I, that's a big for sure. Yeah. Um, being Indiana kid too, obviously. And, and now we're um, graduating and moving on. You really want to see the, the program move in the right direction. And I, I think he does as well, which is exciting. Yeah. So you got the opportunity to play as a freshman under Limonis. Um, just you playing uh, quite a bit as a freshman. Who were some of the upperclassmen that kind of took you under their wing when you were trying to find the ropes of playing college baseball? Yeah, we had a lot of great, <clears throat> a lot of great older guys that I was able to bounce bounce off of. Um, I was very fortunate. I was really the only freshman in our group. Matt Lewicki got hurt um, his freshman fall, so I was really the only freshman that played um, or traveled traveled that year. So I, I had a lot of time to really watch the older players. Were Paulie Milto. Um, who's actually with the White Sox now, and Jonathan Stever were the Friday-Saturday starters with the White Sox. Um, Timmy Heron, um, as well, was one of our other starters. And then Cal Kruger was a great older guy um, who really had a good head on shoulders, was a really good person, and, and one of our closers that we, we really leaned on to. Um, so I had a lot of young, or older guys to kind of learn the ropes and, and follow in line. So I, those guys really paved the way for all of us moving forward. And I'll always appreciate those older players that stuck their neck out for us and, and yeah. helped us along the way. Yeah. So along your four years here at IU, what were some of the things that you were able to develop the most uh, skill-wise or even on the personal side of things? Um, I think, honestly, the biggest thing is just personal growth. Um, I think that gets taken for granted the most when it comes to, you know, making the decision between college and, and pro ball. But um, obviously you just kind of develop into really realizing who you are as a person. You go through so many life experiences 
God knows what you get into at school, but it just put, it shapes you into who you are um, for the good or the bad. And I, and I think I'm thankful for that experience because it, you know, you just create memories that you're never going to forget and, and, and shape who you are now. Um, but in terms of skill wise, I think obviously I got way bit, a lot stronger and um, develop my physical body and probably put on 30 or 40 pounds over the course of my four years at school, um, put on a little bit of velocity as I got older and more mature. Um, I would say my change up is probably the biggest thing that I developed. I actually learned that from coach Bum my freshman year. Um, and I've stuck with it all the way through and it's been probably the reason I drafted quite honestly. Um, and then obviously as you keep going, you start to tinker with different things and you pick up new pitches or whatever. Um, but I feel like, yeah, the changeup is probably the biggest thing that I went through college and it's carried me throughout my entire career so far. Yeah. So you talk about your changeup. Uh, what other pitchers are in your pitching repertoire and what would you say is probably your best pitch or even the pitch that probably needs the most work? Um, yeah, the pitch that needs my boat the most work right now is my curveball. Um, I've been in between it a slider and a curveball for a really long time. And I, I, as I've been out here at spring training for the last couple of weeks, I've gotten more consistent with it. And we've played with grips and things like that um, to try to make it more consistent. Uh, my changeup is my bread and butter. I'm pretty unique nowadays compared to a lot of other pitchers. Everybody's pretty heavy, heavy fastball ride guys with a lot of spin. Um, and I'm the exact opposite. Uh, decent ride on my fastball, but changeups um, and, and a command guy. So, uh, for me, it's all about my fastball command and, and working a changeup in there and then just keeping them off balance with breaking balls. So um, honestly, yeah, trying to work backwards and trying to break myself away from the, the typical guys that are out here that are throwing up the mid-90s with really heavy breaking balls. Um, I'm a bit of a change of pace compared to those guys, which is a good lane for me to be in. Yeah, yeah. So are there any pitches that you're wanting to add or any pitches that you've tried to add in the past and just haven't worked out for you? Um, right now, I think the biggest thing for me is just mastering the, I have, you know, the more effective you can be with, with those three or four pitches, you know, then you can base on, on adding a fifth pitch or sixth pitch, um, after that. But if, if you're really only working with two pitches and you're trying to half tinker with four or five different things, it becomes pretty overwhelming. And then you end up kind of blending a lot of stuff together to where you can kind of get in trouble. Um, so for me, it's really hammering right now. I think weakness um, in terms of my repertoire and I, I like to hammer that out before I move on to something else yeah so you dig it you dig uh, you digged into it a little a few couple minutes ago but um if you were a scout looking at your game what would your scouting report be on yourself <laughs> uh, I would say I, you know if you look at physical size right off the bat obviously tall left-handed um relatively unathletic compared to some high-level throwers but I would pride myself on commanding the game very well, hold the running game extremely well, um, cerebral in, a term, in terms of uh, you know, calling pitches, managing the game, understanding situations, and being you know, centered in the moment. I think a lot of those things are taken for granted when it comes to scouting, and it's, hard, it's difficult. Um, but I feel like that's probably my biggest strength. Um, my biggest weakness is probably my velocity, obviously. Not that <clears throat> exceptional by any means, and, and my overall athleticism doesn't jump off the board. Um, but obviously a plus changeup, uh, can command four pitches for strikes and compete late in the games. I feel like it's a pretty undervalued skill nowadays with teams that are really jumping out, throwing out a lot of relievers every single game. Um, but if you look at the playoffs and you watch teams that, that go deep and win the damn thing, a lot of them have starters that go at least four, five, six, seven innings and give their team a chance to win. So, you know, these things all kind of go through cycles where you have 
teams that have tons of starters that eat up tons of innings like a Lance Lynn. And then you'll have a raise model where you have guys that throw one or two innings and just piggyback off each other for as many as they can possibly do it. Um, but I think, I think being a starter and, and eating up innings is a very valuable asset that you know, teams are trying to latch onto as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. So moving back into your Indiana experience, obviously you went for four seasons there. You have to experience COVID. Um, you were actually a Friday night starter. I know at least one season. I'm not sure about last season. Oh um, uh, yeah. My junior and senior year. Okay. Um, but looking back at your college baseball days, what are some of the key stories that come to mind? And then who are some of those teammates that you probably bonded with the most over your four years? Well, uh, you know, most of the stories you really think about uh, don't aren't really even on the field, quite frankly. It's all the stuff that kind of happens on trips or games or whatever. Um, I would say our biggest or coolest experiences were playing at LSU um, my junior year, actually. So I was, I was the – Friday guy that weekend was the year of COVID um, and LSU had just won the national championship with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all those dudes. So it was sold out. I got 10,000 plus fans in the stands. And um, the, the day before the game, we all did a, a lift in their complex and they have a bunch of video boards all over their weight room. And all of a sudden the music stops and they turn on the video boards and it's every single hit that I'd ever give up at college up on the video board goes double double home run home run uh, going off the board for our entire team workout for like an hour and a half it was just on loop uh that is something that's probably something that i'll remember for the rest of my life honestly because it was you know you feel like you're confident and you're ready to go into that situation and then you kind of have like an oh crap moment there for for a little while and you're like it's, man it's I'm really ready to yeah, so that was that was an overwhelming experience. I, I mean, Coach O ended up throwing out the first pitch, and people were going ballistic. And yeah, it was it was a pretty cool experience for sure. Yeah. So you talk about that trip with LSU. I'm going to ask Matt this when I interview him next week. But there was some type of like commotion that went on that series, right? There was something about a fan being ejected or some something along those lines. Honestly, not that I remember. To be no. honest with. You. Um, no, I, I don't. I, it might have happened, honestly. I don't know. Okay. Um, I know we've had our fair share of fights and ejections, but I, that wasn't one. Yeah. I was listening to, I can't remember what podcast it was, but Matt went on a podcast and they talked about it. I'm going to have to re-listen to it before I interview him and see what exactly that was. But there was something about it, like a fan being ejected after Coach O throughout the first pitch or something like that. But you did say oh, you there might or I was warming up for the game, so okay. it, it, might, it might have happened, and I just had no idea. So okay. I, I, if it happened, then that, that's probably why I don't remember. Yeah. So you talk about ejections. Have you ever been ejected from a game before? Uh, yeah, I got ejected in high school. Um, I never did in college just because there's a lot of repercussions for it. Yeah. Just gets thrown out of the game. Just all the things you have to deal with with the athletic department is kind of a pain in the butt. But, um, but yeah, I got – our, our shortstop in high school got slid into spikes up and I came running out of the dugout. Nobody else on my team came running out of the dugout, but I was like screaming and yelling and got thrown out of the game in high school, which was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's, uh, move yeah. Into, uh, let's move into the draft process for you. So last year, obviously drafted 2021. Um, just heading into the draft, what were your thoughts? When did those conversations start with teams? Um, so it kind of started my junior year all the way through COVID. To be honest with you, I was not a highly, highly touted kid in my junior year, nor neither my senior year. 
Um, so I had a couple meetings with teams over the course of that two years, but it wasn't anything serious at all. Um, so I really kind of picked up in the, mid, in the start of my senior year. Uh, I went out to Minnesota our first weekend and threw really well in that first weekend. So I started to get some interest after that first week. Um, and then things just kind of stalled out or were pretty stagnant throughout the course of the season. Talked to a couple teams here and there, but it wasn't necessarily anything big. Um, I only signed, I was a senior signed for 20,000. So I didn't make that much money. So being a, a kid like that in that certain situation, obviously you're not prioritized. Um, so I wasn't getting as much of the attention as McKay Brown or Gabe or yeah. uh, those guys that were making a lot of money. Uh, so it actually kind of came up. Uh, I got drafted by the White Sox. Mike Shirley is a scouting director for the White Sox, and he's from he's based out of Anderson, Indiana. Um, so I, I, I've met with him a, a couple of times before and obviously had a, a good relationship over the course of my whole career with the Bulls and things like that all the way back through high school. And uh, I, I had my last two starts with IU. I, I had a big blister on my finger. So against Michigan and against Nebraska, I had really bad games where I came out after like the first or second inning because my finger had kind of like burst and bleeding all over the place and I'd given up a bunch of runs. So I looked terrible. Um, so I called Mike Shirley and uh, asked him if he could get me somewhere to play in the summer. I asked him to take me out to the Cape and I, if I could get a chance to play in the Cape. Um, so he ended up getting me a two week, basically a two week contract before the, the draft to go play for the Falmouth Commodores in the Cape. Um, so I ended up doing that, throwing a couple, uh, throwing like literally two innings out there. And then the day of the draft, the Mike and his uh, other scout or other area scout called me and was like, would you take this money in the 10th round? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And that was pretty much the extent of it. So it, it kind of came up pretty quickly didn't really have that much of a, a deep process with many teams. It just kind of came down to personal relationships, which was. Yeah. Was, yeah. So that week heading into the draft, um, you were talking, when you talked to Shirley, you pretty much knew you were getting drafted by the White Sox. There wasn't really any conversations with other teams. Um, no, honestly, until the day of the draft, I did not think I was going to get drafted. So obviously the first day happened, I wasn't going to be a first, I wasn't going to be a first rounder. Um, so then the second day was, or second or third day was like ten, through the 10th round was the, was that day I woke up, was going to the field and got a phone call that morning was like, would you take this money in that round? And I was like, I just said, yes. Um, and still at that point, you think it's skeptical because I know plenty of stories where guys were offered this in this round and then the round comes and they take somebody else. So they take somebody else. So I didn't tell my parents, I didn't tell anybody. I was actually getting warmed up to go in the game um, at the Cape and, it came on the intercom and it was like Thomas Summer just been drafted by the Chicago White Sox. And then the trainer gave me my phone and my phone was blowing up and everything like that. So it was, it was pretty surreal experience. It's very unique. Yeah. So before that conversation with Mike Shirley, were you planning on just spending that whole summer in the Cape Cod and then coming back for that fifth year COVID year at IU? Uh, yeah. So I, um, at that point, you know, I was, I was thinking about if I, if I, was going to be offered a free agent deal. I probably maybe would have taken it. Maybe not. Um, it was just kind of a, how I felt about it and, and the kind of the opportunity that was presented with me. Um, but I was actually in the transfer portal at the time because I was a graduate senior. Um, so I was kind of going through that process, thinking about coming back to IU, but also had a couple other schools I was talking to and kind of feeling out that big thing. The reason I was in there is because I, obviously all my friends and teammates that that I, uh, went through the system with it. IU were all getting drafted or leaving. And so I was kind of felt like I was going to be the lone man out because everybody was going to be drafted or, or, or 
be done with their eligibility. So it was kind of a weird spot. So it ended up working out really well that I got drafted. But um, yeah, that kind of situation would have played out differently if, if not. Okay. So you talk about the transfer portal. Also, obviously transfer portal and basketball, football, a lot of people follow that. Obviously for college baseball, it's not followed as much, sadly. Um, so when you did enter that transfer portal for baseball, were there a lot of teams that were reaching out to you? What teams did? And what were your conversations like with those teams? Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, I Very few people that honestly play at, at, at a high level at certain schools go into the transfer portal. Um, my situation was pretty unique. So um, as soon as I got on the transfer portal, within a couple hours, I had 20 to 40 phone calls from schools. And it was it, it continued to kind of escalate as it as it went on, teams would reach out to me two or three weeks after I'd entered as well. So it, it came down, it was all over the place, really. It was kind of hard to, to put it all together. It ended up coming down to a couple of schools, um, but obviously I didn't really necessarily have to make a decision. So it, it, it was more of just a lot of hectic um, phone calls back and forth rather than really making a decision. Yeah. So after the draft, when you were drafted in that 10th round, what, what exactly happened next? How long was it before you were in Glendale and you were signing that contract and then heading to a uh, training camp? Yeah. So, um, I signed, um, two weeks after I got drafted. So as soon as I got drafted, um, I spent another day in Massachusetts and then my dad and I drove home. We actually pulled an all nighter and drove all the way back to Indiana, um, that night. And then, um, I was home for a couple of days and then ended up, they actually flew us to Birmingham, Alabama, which is our double A affiliate. And we had like a mini camp with our, um, our pitching coordinator and our field coordinator for a week, which is which was unique compared to everybody else that I talked to. We, we did that for a week with just our draft class. Um, so we signed there did a little practice session and things like that for a couple of days. And then we went straight to Glendale and started playing in our um, ACL league. Yeah. So when you were in Birmingham, then going to Glendale, uh, just straight off the bat, what were some of those biggest differences you saw in between pro ball and uh, college ball? I would say, honestly, at first it was in the league that we were playing in was very different than college ball. In college ball, obviously, you're getting scouted constantly. So you have a report base against you. You have a, a very educated lineup that you're facing. And for the most part, as a Friday guy specifically, the team is facing, is, is studying to face you all week. So they put out their machines, they get coached, they get trained mentally and physically to face Tommy Summer, the left-handed pitcher, Friday night against IU for a whole week. Um, so it's a lot more competitive. Um, teams are trying to take things away from you, and they're much more patient, I would say, um, and disciplined. Um, a lot of guys, obviously, are facing 21, 22, 23-year-olds that are pretty experienced. Once we got here, we started to face a lot of younger kids, high school draft picks. Um, Latin players um, that are in this, that are in the Arizona fall or the complex league for a reason, because they're really young for the most part. So you're facing a lot of really undisciplined hitters that are extremely aggressive that hit fastballs really, really well. But if you throw off speed pitches, it's just different. It's they're just off because they, they just haven't seen it that much. They're younger hitters. Um, so for me, it took, a, it took a while to adjust because I, I pitched differently. I pitched to college hitters in this league and I gave up a couple home runs at first because I would throw fastballs in counts because I figured I'd get them off fastballs with what I'd just thrown and then blow them by them um, or catch them off balance. But they were just always on fastball timing all the time. So once I figured that out, I was it was very easy, um, but it was frustrating at, at, at first for sure. Yeah. 
So how long were you in Glendale before you actually came back to um, Carmel, Indiana for the off season? And then when did you end up heading back for this year's spring training? Yeah, I finished the season in the Arizona Complex League. So we were there from the middle of July until the middle to end of September. And then we, I got to go home for five months. I didn't go to instructional league because I had thrown a ton of innings. Um, almost all the pitchers and, and position players from our draft class went, except for me and a couple other high, or college starters that had thrown a lot of innings and hadn't been hurt or anything. Um, so I got a nice five-month break and was home <clears throat> in between um, Bloomington, Carmel, other places to go see family and things like that for until all the way of the end of February. And then the last couple of days of February, I came out here and, and started spring training. Yeah. So when you when you are in the offseason, obviously, I know Matt Litwicky, Braden Scott, I think Gabe, they they trained here in Bloomington this this winter. Mm-hmm. So were you training with them alongside them this winter? Yeah. Yeah. We all we all stayed in the facility um, and decided to just kind of stay in Bloomington. It was a really easy transition for us just to come back. Um, it's a cheap place to live, and obviously having the facilities that I use has really beneficial. So it was a fun little group of those guys to come back and, and be yeah. a part of our first offseason. Yeah. Were you a part of that group that worked at Big Red Liquors this offseason? No, I didn't. Um, I did pitching lessons, actually. I, I did pitching lessons at Diamond Dynamics, and then Matt and Braden were at Big Red. Okay. So where, where's Diamond Dynamics at? Diamond Dynamics is in Smithville, um, which is just south of Bloomington. Um, they have a little complex basically out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but I grew up playing there, so I, I'm pretty familiar with it. And I have a lot of family in the area, so they hooked me up with a lot of people that wanted lessons or needed pitching advice or coaching or whatever. So yeah, I was were you able were you able to pick up quite a few uh, just clients in terms of like little league, middle school guys? Yeah, I had about ten to twelve kids that I worked with on a weekly basis, and then I worked with a couple teams as well, or just kind of like a liaison on the side to help them with individual things, whether it's you know mechanics or different grips or mental stuff or whatever, I would just come and show up and help out. Um, and it ended up being a lot of fun because I, I, I grew up as those little kids at nine years old being in that place specifically. So it was pretty fun to kind of do it all again as kind of a mentor. Yeah. So when when did you head back to Glendale um, for spring training this season? Uh, the, February 28th. So I've only been here for three weeks now. Okay. So obviously that probably would that be, that would be different if it wasn't the lockout season, correct? Um, it would it would have been like a week earlier, two weeks earlier, yeah. Okay, so obviously this is your first spring training, so you don't really know what a, what a, like a spring training without a lockout. Yeah, would. I mean they haven't had a normal spring training for two years now, so everything is kind of everything is new um, for pretty much everybody because they had obviously COVID twenty twenty where nothing happened, and then the lockout changed everything this year too. So, so what, kind of, so overall, what's what's your first spring training like? How how are you liking it? It's a lot of fun. Um, I like the individuality about it, you know, getting to kind of do your own thing, stay in your own lane. Um, it, it was very hectic at first, obviously showing up and you're in a locker room with 120 guys. Um, it can be overwhelming. Um, but I think being an older guy that's been around long enough, you kind of are comfortable in those situations a little bit more than if I was younger. So, um, you know, the, the competition level of it is, is a lot more difficult. Obviously you have to show up ready to go every single day. You can't, mess around and do dumb things off the field. You can't go hiking all day or go out drinking and do all that stuff and then expect to show up the next day because you're facing double A, triple A guys. You may show up to you show up to the field one day. I last week I showed up to the field the other day. We weren't having simulation games with a minor leaguer. So I faced Tim Anderson, Juan Moncada, and Jose Abreu and two other big leaguers. 
Yeah. So like that was my day. They're like, here you go. This is the hitters you got to face today. So yeah. I, you got to be on your stuff because you never know when stuff like that's going to happen. But it was, yeah. it was so a really what were those at bats with against Tim Anderson, Moncada, Brady. What were those at bats like? Were you able to get them out or did they, they get some? I actually, I, so obviously it's a little different. There was like their second or third day there. So they were just kind of going through the motions a little bit. Um, but obviously yeah, we were jacked up, ready to go. So it was a lot of fun. Um, Tim Anderson, super talkative and outgoing. And as soon as I walked in there, he was, you know, messing with me, talking to me, asking me if I need, he needed to wear his Evo shield, if I was going to blow his elbow up or just messing with him and stuff. So I got him out the first time and he starts talking shit and, and you know, messing with me, calling, just calling me out and stuff. So I, I was drawn back with him just to make it fun. And yeah. it was a really cool experience. I'm thankful for it, obviously. You know, to get to do that as a dream come true for anybody. It was just, I just happened to be lucky that I was a guy to pitch that day. Um, <laughs> uh, but besides those days where you're facing, the, obviously, those MLB All-Stars guys playing with the White Sox, one of the better teams in the AL, what does your average day-to-day look like? Yeah, so usually we get to the field really early. Um, we're there at 7.30 in the morning to kind of get going. And then we either have um, – we have like a movement prep, which is basically just kind of like a warm-up stuff that we do. Um, and then we go out and play catch, do our drill work and things like that. Uh, we go straight in like a team practice where you have batting practice, uh, team defense, things like that. We're usually a part of that. And then um, we're kind of on our own. So we, we have our workouts three or four times a week or certain things we have to do in the weight room or running or whatever. Um, if we're not throwing bullpens and things like that, that's kind of the end of our day. A lot of guys go in and watch video, um, do mechanical stuff on the side or whatever. Um, if we have bullpens or games or things like that, we usually throw our bullpens and then have workouts. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty relaxed. It's, it's not in college and things like that, where it's like, once you go with your bullpen, you're a part of team practice, you're a part of every single thing that goes on. Um, you're, you're pretty much on your own if, if you're kind of taking care of your stuff, obviously, and, and doing your things. So I enjoy that aspect of it because I, I, I feel like it, I thrive in that environment and just kind of being able to do what I need to do um, instead of kind of being dragged along. Yeah, I've enjoyed that aspect of it for sure. So being at Camelback Ranch, when you guys are splitting the facility with the Dodgers, obviously the facility's huge, but are there times when you're running into some of those Dodgers uh, players and prospects as well? No, we're on, they're completely separated. So it's pretty much split in half. Um, and then there's a, there's a giant river, river basically that runs in between the middle of it. Um, so our guys are completely completely separate even the colors of our fields are different um so we take up six fields on our side and they have i'm pretty sure six or seven fields on their side um, and we never really cross paths at all uh the facility itself are two separate buildings too so it, it, we never we're not within the same locker room or cafeteria or weight room or or any facilities that kind of share their space yeah, I went to I went to Arizona back in 2017. I went and saw a lot of those different facilities. Obviously, Camelback Ranch is probably one of the better facilities in Arizona. It seemed like at the time. Obviously, I was like a 14 year old kid, so I can't really yeah. remember that well. But it seemed like it was one of the uh, better facilities. But when you're when you're not at Camelback Ranch, uh, what are some of your favorite things? What are some of the things you do to pass the time in Glendale? Yeah, so we're in a hotel right now, which makes it a little bit difficult. Um, some guys are in apartments. Um, within 10 or 15 minutes around. So um, we like to go to Scottsdale is a really nice place. We go out to Scottsdale a handful of times and go do fun stuff over there. Um, I know a lot, a couple guys have been to the Coyotes games out here, the Suns games. Um, 
video games are obviously pretty popular around here. And then March Madness has started. So that's kind of been a lot of fun. I know there's been a a lot of gambling and aggressive cussing in the locker rooms. Were were there any games hosted in Arizona uh, for regionals or anything like that for the tournament? Um, I don't think so. No. So none of that's been out here. Um, But there's been a handful of of Suns games and things like that. And um, my girlfriend was just out here. So we went hiking and did a couple things like that, which is a lot of fun. Um, Just there's a lot of stuff out here that are so unique. Uh, especially coming from the Midwest, we have none of this stuff to the mountains and any of that. So we try to get out and do as much of that as possible because you never know when you're going to come back. Yeah, that was that was my thought process too. As I was I was as I was there, like going hiking. I mean, that's something you never see here in the Midwest. Seeing all those like mountains just for miles, it seems like that was yeah. something you never get to yeah, see. So over the summer, yeah, over the summer, my girlfriend came out here and we went on a, a big hike. We went up to like Sedona and did like a six or seven mile hike. And then I had to I had to pitch that night. And so I went back and I, it was just a bad day. So I've tried to kind of taper my outdoor activities as much as possible to try to limit that, but it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about it before we started recording, but um, what's the outlet, what's the outlook looking like right now of when exactly you're going to find out where you're being assigned for the start of the season? Yeah, I think that'll kind of start here in the next week or so. Honestly, uh, we kind of have a general idea um, of where we're going. They've kind of mentioned a couple things about going to low A. So I think that's where I'm going to be, but that's not set in stone. Um, just because there's so many guys here, injuries can happen. People perform well, people perform poorly and things shift in a matter of days. So, um, yeah, I'd assume they, they kind of delay that until the very end, but, um, yeah, spots are definitely open. So it's, it's a lot of fun to be in a competitive, really working for it every single day. Um, but I'd assume, you know, being your first year, you kind of just start at the bottom and work your way up and, and take it from there. Yeah. So low that's Kannapolis, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I pretty, I'm, I actually, just before we, I, we got on the, the call, I was talking to Colson Montgomery's like best friend and yeah. they said, they said Colson thinks that's where he's heading as well as Kannapolis. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think Colson and I'll be teammates for a while. So that'll be a lot of fun. We've become pretty good friends. Yeah, looks like looks like I might be having to make a trip to one of the whatever Carolina state Kannapolis is in. I don't south or north, whatever state yeah, that is. It's right outside of Charlotte. Okay. Okay. Might have to might have to make a weekend trip or something like that this this summer yeah. to go watch you guys ball out. There you go. It's the Hoosiers, man. Gotta keep yeah. together. Gotta gotta support those Hoosiers. Uh but as you as you head into the season, um opening day coming around right around the corner. What are some of your personal goals as you head into the season? Um, yeah, I kind of, I've had a hard time thinking about that, honestly, because um, I've just, I don't know what to expect necessarily. So I'm, I'm just really looking at it day by day, to be quite frankly with you. I, you know, just trying to be as consistent as possible for me. That's the most important thing. Um, so I'm trying to set daily goals or weekly goals rather than long-term goals, especially, uh, particularly in this time frame for me right now, because I just haven't really been exposed to it and I don't know necessarily what to expect. Um, from everybody that I've talked to, you know, there's so many things that are outside of your control, different variables that are going on that you might get moved up for X reason or down for X reason, even though you're performing poorly or well or whatever. Um, a lot of those things are completely out of your control. Um, so for me, it's just developing a strong routine to where I know that I can be on my P's and Q's when it comes to actually playing the game. And, and eventually that will take care of itself. And if it works out great, if not, I have nothing to really look back on and, and doubt it by any means. So for me, it's more of the short-term routine-based goals rather than the long-term goals. And, and hopefully 
you know, as two or three years go by, you, you start to look up and you're knocking on the door. So I think that's kind of what I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, so as we talked about before we started recording, um, obviously I told you that I'm trying to be an MLBPA certified agent here once I graduate IU in 24. So usually when I get these pro, pro guys like yourself on the podcast, I like to talk about just their overall agent selection process and how the whole thing went down for them. So when was it that agents and advisors started reaching out to you? Um, I had a couple in high school um, that I didn't necessarily really take seriously just because I wasn't really in a position to do that. And my, quite frankly, my parents didn't really want me doing that either. So um, I delayed that for a while. Um, once I got to college, it didn't start until really my senior year, actually, um, because the se- once the season started my junior year, um, I wasn't really a highly talented prospect by any means, and obviously COVID shut down really quickly, so none of that process really started. Um, but I, I did really well at the beginning of the season, my senior year, so after that first weekend, I started to get some phone calls from different people and kind of field conversations with people like that. Um, for me, it was just the relationship at the basis of it. Um, I think the biggest thing is just being able to trust somebody because at the end of the day, you're dealing with somebody's real money. Um, and it becomes their livelihood, you know what I mean? So the closer I can feel like I can trust you and, and have a genuine relationship with somebody, the better. Um, and a lot of people are, are, are guys that, that work with, are doing deals behind people's backs and, and, and you know, doing it for the money aspect rather than the personal relationship of the, of the individual. Um, I feel like that's the biggest aspect for me specifically, As, uh, especially right now where I'm not necessarily making money. I don't have deals with, whoever or whatever and I'm, I'm years away from arbitration or being on the 40 man or, or really any of those big time decisions that agents are there for. Um, I just want to be comfortable. So it's just the trust aspect of it and finding somebody that you connect with um, that you're not going to have to worry about or, or feel like it's, it's kind of being deceitful behind your back. Yeah. So when you say you're on those initial phone calls with them, what were some of those initial conversations like with those agents trying to pitch themselves to you? Yeah, it was a really, honestly, couple of them were pretty short pitches, just like, I want to be your agent, blah, blah, blah. This is what I have to offer. Um, and that, honestly, is, is, for me, wasn't necessarily very appealing. Um, just because it feels like it was just very short, you know what I mean? It felt like a business transaction. It felt like, hey, this is who I am. I've done this. I'm with this person. But like, I'm going to be your, like, let me help you, basically. It was like, like, I don't really, it felt like I don't necessarily really need your help that much. Like, what are, what? how much are you really going to change my current situation? Right. Um, but then I had a guy named uh, Nello Gambardino reach out to me and we kind of developed a longer relationship. He didn't really, obviously I knew who he was and what he was trying to accomplish and, and connect with me and become my agent, but it was more of a genuine relationship. And I, so I appreciated that um, over the long term. I ended up signing with him like a couple of weeks before the draft, but we started conversations at the beginning of the season. Um, so I respected the fact that he was continuing to reach out to me and talk to me and, and maintained interest with me rather than just having this one-off conversation phone call. It was a yes or no, and then you're done. Um, that was probably the biggest thing that I felt like was a, a deciding factor for me. Yeah. So when you were going through that process of picking an agency, uh, what were some of those key things that you were looking for besides just the relationship side of things? Yeah, I mean... For me, I didn't necessarily have like the pick of the litter when it comes to all these different services and things yeah. like that. The agents that I was working with, they don't have their own facilities. They don't have 
X or Y or whatever, where a lot of these guys have, like Colson has this guy in Nashville that he has a facility with him and they work out with a lot of big leaders. And that's just the cream of the crop that Colson's a part of because he's an outstanding baseball player and a prospect. I wasn't like that. So for me, there wasn't necessarily a big gap between the people that I was talking to in terms of what they offered. Um, so because of that, that's why the relationship aspect was such a big deal. Um, so I think there's a, definitely a difference between the caliber of player that you're working with. Um, and obviously, yeah, as you start to negotiate for hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars, that the seriousness level obviously kicks up an notch and you're negotiating for life-changing amounts of money um, to where the services and things like that really matter and you really need somebody in your corner. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, I guess, necessarily in that in that realm so for me it was just a genuine relationship somebody i could count on somebody i could reach out to ask questions hey where did they see me who's talking about me those kinds of conversations are, are kind of where i'm at right now um, so it's more about a personal level than anything else part of the business so you talked about the phone calls some of those short phone calls that kind of seemed more transactional with those agents but when you were going through the process and you talked to a couple of those guys was there anything besides those short phone calls that like just caught your attention of something that just did not impress you at all? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say the it's very easy to kind of blow off somebody who, or not necessarily blow off, but to, it's, it's hard to really commit to somebody. I feel like that has had a, doesn't have much of a pedigree in your specific sport by any means. So like I had a, for example, I had a person reach out to me who was kind of like, I do the NFL, but I'm from the Indianapolis area and I'd like to represent you or whatever. And so that was kind of hard because I was like, you know, in the NFL or the NBA is way different than baseball. Like the, the business side of baseball is extremely complicated and way different than a lot of other things. So for that, I was like, you know, that that's not something that would necessarily benefit me. So there's really no point in even me signing to be with an agent if every agent that offered me was in in a different sport. Um, so that was definitely something that I felt like was probably pretty necessary. Um, but that was only one. Um, most of the guys are pretty baseball specific for sure. Yeah. So the guy that you did uh, end up signing with, well, his name was ne- Nello Gambardino. Uh, Matt and I actually have the same agent. Yeah. So he's, he's Matt's guy as well. Okay. So who, what company does he work for? He works for MPG Sports. MPG? N P G just his initials. So N N is in Nello P person G Gambardino. Okay, guess I'm, I'm I'll be looking him up a little bit after the after the episode. But um, besides that, we've talked enough about baseball. I got a couple more questions for you. Uh, let's dig into some of your passions off the field. So when you're not on the baseball field, what are some things that you like to be doing? Um, you know, this has kind of been a weird transitional time for me because we've got a lot of stuff going on that wasn't necessarily baseball related over the off season. So I really kind of challenged myself to find new stuff. Um, video games is pretty common just because all my friends are a part of it and doing that stuff too. So it's just a way to get connected with everybody. Really. Um, I love to fish. So fishing is probably my biggest passion outside of baseball. My dad and my uncle are both from Florida and we go down there all the time and fish. Um, so yeah, that's probably my biggest, my biggest passion outside of baseball. I'm glad I'm going to North Carolina because there's a, a big, group of fishermen within the organization that like to go out and do stuff like that. So I think that'll be my off day uh, activity over the summer. Yeah. So are there a lot of lakes in Carmel that you like to like to fish at? 
Um, not any public ones, but I've snuck onto a handful of neighborhoods and made my fair share of friends. Yeah. 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 Uh, when you're talking about video games, what are some of those video games that you, you are playing with some of your buddies on the team? Um, we play Fortnite, uh, Fortnite Warzone. Um, I like to play Madden and FIFA and things like that. Obviously, Emily, the show is pretty popular with all of us and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I would say I would say Fortnite and probably the show are probably the two biggest ones. Yeah. So you talk about uh, going on to some of those private lakes in Carmel. Um, when you're not on some of those private lakes uh, fishing for some, uh, getting some fish, what are some of your favorite things to do in your hometown of Carmel? Um, you know, nowadays when I come home, it's really just spending time with my family, quite honestly. Um, I've been away for so long that COVID has been a nice kind of a change of pace for everybody where I've got to spend a lot of time with my family and friends and things like that. Um, I would say um, go to the, some of the high school events are pretty cool. The high school basketball and football games are pretty fun. Uh, getting to do that and just kind of going back and checking out what's all changed since I've been home and things like that. Um, obviously, I have a big contingency of coaches and friends and baseball people that are around that go to ProX and uh, over at Grand Park and, and are over there. So I, I hang out with those guys quite a bit. Um, but that's really it. Honestly, I, I, ever since I went to school and made friends with baseball, I, I've kind of cut ties with a lot of friends that I had in high school and things like that. So it's mostly just family and, and people that I've met through baseball that I'm really hanging out with once I come home. Yeah. I have to say, Carmel used to be, I used to, I used to like Carmel, but just this past Sunday, I was driving back home from Fort, cause I'm from Fort Wayne. I was driving through 69, got pulled over, got a ticket. So I, I, I don't know if I'm by a Carmel police officer. So I don't know if I, don't know if I like Carmel anymore. Yeah. Um, one last question for you, though. So if you're going to Carmel, obviously you played Westfield. Did you ever get the chance to play up against Ryan Pepio? Yeah. Uh, Ryan Pepio single-handedly won us a sectional championship. Um, so my junior year um, – my junior year, we were actually really good. We had a, a handful of kids from uh, that went D1. We had five D1 pitchers on our team. Jack Vandermorla went to Michigan. Uh, Brett Whitner went to Ball State. So we had a really good – Parker Maskin was an outfielder from Miami, Ohio. Um, we had a really good team. So um, our first round of sectionals, we played Noblesville, which is a pretty decent team. And Ryan Pepio pitched against – I think it was Hamilton Southeastern. He single-handedly beat Hamilton Southeastern. And then he went to go pitch against in the next game and beat somebody else. So then we ended up playing Westfield um, in the sectional championship without Ryan pitching. So we ended up beating them pretty badly. But, so if I were seeing around the complex, I'll tell him thank you for my sectional championship. Yeah. I was just saying you threw me for a loop there when you said he single-handedly won you the section. I was like, man, did I did I read something wrong? Uh, he just beat everybody else. That was really good. We, we just played the, we played the slot the soccer teams at the end. Yeah, I was going to say, all right, well, Tommy, that's all I got for you. Um, like I said, thank you for coming on the show. Um, like hopefully uh, maybe I'm able to make it to Kannapolis this summer to yeah. go watch you play. If not, I'll definitely go see you, Birmingham, Winston-Salem, somewhere. I'm definitely going to be watching you play a baseball game, watching you pitch sometime soon. Um, I'm pumped to see what you do this season. And like I said, just thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it for having me and, and thanks for reaching out. Best of luck with everything. If you ever need anything, let me know or give me a shout. I'll be happy to help.
And that's going to do it for our first episode of three for this weekend series. I'd like to thank Tommy for coming on the show today. Followed him a little bit last season as he was at IU, but definitely going to be following him a lot more after he came on the podcast. I just really appreciate him coming on the show. Just being from the Midwest, it'd be a great thing to see another Hoosier go play in Chicago for the Chicago White Sox. Too bad I never really got the chance to see him play at the BART last season just because of COVID and fans weren't allowed. So hopefully I'm able to do that sometime here in the near future, go see him play in the minors, hopefully for the Chicago White Sox with years to come. Uh, but make sure to tune in tomorrow as we've got Matt Litwicky and the Boston Red Sox organization hopping on a show. Then Sunday we've got another one of for- Tommy's former teammates in Braden Scott and the Blue Jays organization. It's going to be a great weekend. We're producing a lot of great content, learning a lot from these uh, three guys in Major League organizations. Um, if you want to learn more about some of our uh, more guests we got coming on in the future, make sure to follow us on social media at JKR underscore podcast at, on Instagram and Twitter. And then check out our website, www.jkrpodcast.com, for even more updates. Um, So just thank you guys for listening, and make sure I catch you guys tomorrow for the Matt Litwicky interview.